Cool, cool, cool. Thank you, Tyler, and uh, for the students that are going on that trip, and uh, what a way that we get to support uh, what's going on in their lives. I know Casey and I will be taking uh, full advantage of that, what was it, Saturday night on the 16th for childcare. That sounds like a wonderful date night opportunity. Um, and, and just fun celebration. Today, uh, today's a special day for the Bartosik family. Today is uh, adoption day for our girls, so it's fun to celebrate uh, our family and God's continued grace in our life. Um, oh, you're kind, Jerry. Um, I'd love, just as we get started, I'd love to invite Ricky Boyle up. Uh, you heard Fred mention um, <laughs> one of our student leaders um, and uh, one of our life group leaders around here. You heard Fred mention about Camp Fairwood. Uh, one of the things I love about Camp Fairwood is uh, baptisms. And so there is a baptism class happening right now, but we also think this is an organic thing. So if something stirs in your heart, we would love to see, uh, to see you celebrate with the family through this gift of baptism. But Ricky, why don't you introduce yourself as we get into that? What, what's your connection around here? Uh, yeah, I'm Ricky. Uh, as David said, I lead a life group around here. I've also been doing student ministry. I just finished year seven doing student Man. ministry which makes me feel old. Because <laughs> you, you just turned how old? I don't want to answer that question. Oh, man. <laughs> I had to answer it. Okay, I'm fine. I'm 30. 30. And earlier he said in first service, he said, I just feel like I'm getting old, to which there was a collective groan that happened. Uh, and, and so just when you think of this, this journey of baptism, what, what's that look like in your life? Yeah, so I was baptized as an infant, um, not by my choice, but my, by my parents' choice. And then we went to church when I was really young until maybe like third grade. And then we stopped going to church and was not at all following Jesus and then became a Christ follower as a junior in high school, um, decided to follow Jesus with my life and then did not get baptized at that time because I didn't know that scripture actually tells us to believe and be baptized. And so it wasn't until many years later that I actually got baptized. Yeah. And so then what prompted you, when and where did that take place that prompted you to say, I, I think this is a beautiful next step for those that treasure Jesus? So it actually, it actually happened at Camp Fairwood um, five or six years ago, mm. uh, just after being at Hillcrest for a couple of years. And I went through all of college not getting baptized, but like in that time, I, then I learned that scripture says believe and be baptized. But then I, I kind of felt like I had missed the boat. And I was like, well, I, I kind of missed my chance, right? Uh, but coming here, I, I had some conversations, and I realized, like, it's not about me, right? Being baptized is all about declaring faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross to forgive my sins. And so I decided, you know, it's still a good time. It's a great time. And so, so how would you encourage us, then, uh, wherever we might find ourselves, maybe having just come to faith or, or maybe just like your story, a few years in between, how might you encourage us on, on what baptism means as you observe that in others' lives? Yeah, I would say regardless of where you are in your, in your faith journey, if you're following Christ and you haven't been baptized after that as a, as a proclamation of your decision to follow Christ, I would encourage you to look into it. Um, scripture actually says over and over and over again, believe and be baptized. You see people, if you read the book of Acts over and over, people are following Christ and then the next step is being baptized. So whether it's been a day or a year or a decade or your entire life, even if you were baptized as an infant um, and then maybe fell away from the church and then you wanna declare your faith in Christ publicly, baptism is a great way to do that. And again, it's, it's not about you, right? It's, it's this continuous um, laying down of your own life at the foot of the cross and saying it's about what he did, so. 
Uh, and, and again, what a gift to those observing as that declaration is being given. So there is a class happening right now, but, but we hope it's not just organized platforms, but I hope around here it's both organized and organic. So if that's something stored in your heart, we would love to have a conversation with one of our staff, ministry leaders. Uh, you can reach out to the office. We would love to engage that conversation so we can celebrate with you at Camp Fairwood. Hey, would you pray for us just as we begin our service this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to come together as the body of believers and just worship you with our time this morning. I just ask that your spirit dwells with us this morning mm-hmm. and that everything we do here is for your glory, um, that, that your words are spoken, that as we open the text and we read scripture, that um, we can hear in it what you need us to hear, Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And as we talk about forgiveness, just continue to impress upon us our, our own sin and um, that uh, we are forgiven only by what Christ did. And so for those of us who have not been baptized, um, just continue to, to show us how much you love us and, and how much you've forgiven us and allow that to spur us on to good works. Um, so just be with us this morning and let everything we do be for your glory and not ours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ricky. And, and so much like you heard Ricky say uh, this morning, as we've been going through this Kingdom of God summer series We've been talking about a king forming a people under his rule and reign, and yet we look around and we see it doesn't seem as though King Jesus is reigning. And so we're not naive to believe as if the kingdom is fully here, but we also are not hopeless to believe he isn't actively at work and the kingdom has already begun. Because the kingdom is about this king who came to this earth 2,000 years ago, died and rose again and ushered in his kingdom. And it is about a king forming a people, that he is calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we've been looking now, how might we live in a way that reflects we are under that reign? What would it look like for us to live under that reign? And so we've been asking the kids to draw pictures just about what they see. We're talking about these ideas. Down in kids' ministry, they've been also reading and having a snippet about these parables as well. And so this past week, we talked about deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so Matthias, age nine, literally drew a picture of a guy carrying a cross. Because sometimes we interpret that figuratively. How would those first century Christians have heard this story? They would have understood a literal cross, meaning... To the point of death, we are willing to follow this guy, that they understood complete surrender. Who sits on the throne of our hearts? Not deny yourself as in choke down the apple, but deny yourself in complete surrender to King Jesus. And so we're continuing, and, uh, and this week, it's, it's on the idea of forgiveness. We talked about the king being generous, and, and he grows his kingdom mysteriously, that we don't somehow will it into existence, but he grows it mysteriously. And then he showed us that he is a treasure to be found, and so we joyfully deny and follow him. And this morning, it's going to be about an aspect of him reigning in our lives, this idea of forgiveness. And so uh, if you open a Matthew 18, we'll read the text together, Matthew 18, Verse 21 to 35. So here is the text of where Jesus is taking us this morning. Then Peter, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? 
Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times, as some translations say. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and his payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, bless you, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience, same line, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So here's, here's where Jesus is taking us this morning. In the kingdom of God, our ability to forgive flows from the limitless forgiveness we've experienced, and our desire, ability, and eagerness to forgive far exceeds the wrong done to us. I'm going to say that one more time. In the kingdom of God, our ability to forgive flows from our conviction that we've experienced limitless forgiveness, and our desire, ability, and eagerness then to return that, to forgive far exceeds the wrong done to us. Now, where's your mind go when you first hear that? I'll tell you where my mind goes. But, but what about blank? <laughs> David, don't you know about blank? And, and here's, here's where I just imagine, for us in the room, statistically speaking, we would assume that someone in here has experienced some level of abuse or trauma maybe some trauma from addiction in, some, in your family's life that then has impact on you, uh, the, the, the possibility of betrayal somewhere in your family or your life, uh, possibly some level of abandonment, that there was someone that actually left you in some capacity, suffering abandonment, just hurt, trauma, pain that exists in this room. And, and do I have any sense fully of what that feels like? Man, I don't. <laughs> I don't, I don't know the layers or depth of the pain that you might be feeling, but here, here is my confidence, right? Here's the reality that we bank on. We do know someone who does. And so whatever it might be that you're carrying in, we are confident that God is present in the midst of that. And it's not David who's calling you to forgive. Jesus as a reflection of what it means to live under his reign, understands all the complexities of what you might be wrestling with to forgive, and he is the one calling us to live in a way that reflects we are living under his reign. And so here, here's where we're going to start. We're going to walk through the parable together. And Megan, could you click through those slides as we do it? Because I, I might not be clicking through as we're reading it. But, but turn to Matthew 18. If you haven't already done it, turn to Matthew 18, 21. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. 
And every time I say that, are you guys tempted to say not in the overhead bin? Does, there, does that cross your mind or just mine? Sometimes I withhold some of the things flying through my mind, not that time. So there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, it is yours to keep. We, we go through the ESV around here, but if you have another translation, that is not a problem. But, but we just want to walk through this parable that Jesus is telling about forgiveness in his kingdom. And it starts with Peter. We love Peter, right? Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I am to forgive him? As many as seven times? And so Peter, in this moment, is telling us, wow, Jesus, I'm going above and beyond. For the Jews, the number seven was this idea of completeness. And so he is giving a number in his head that he believes is a form of completeness. Jesus, I'm going above and beyond seven times. And Jesus responds. Does he say, that's great, Peter. No, he says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times seven. Now, some of us then might do the calculations and go, so it's 490 times So Jesus, on the 491st time, am I off the hook? But instead, Jesus is trying to give us a parable. It's actually however many times is needed. That is the degree of forgiveness that we should seek. And so he tells a parable about that reality. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who who wishes to settle his accounts with his servants. So imagine, for, for this time period, you can imagine a ledger of a bunch of debts. So the king has a ledger of all the debts that is owed to him, right? He's giving and and offering some credit, and he has a list of all the debt that he's given. And he comes across a debt, and that debt is 10,000 talents. And for us, we might go, well, well, yeah, that's that's cool and all. 10,000 talents, I get a big number. So so one denarii, we talked about this recently, one denarii is a day's wage. So we talked about this a few months ago in James. People would work. These are day laborers. Most of society did not live in the middle class. They just worked hand to mouth and they would get a denarii, one day's wage. So now picture this, one talent, we're gonna do math. You guys like math? You guys love math. I hate math. Math is the worst. Some of you chemists, you engineers, you love math. So imagine this, one denarii, six, Thousand denarii equals one talent. Six thousand days of work equals one talent. Now multiply ten thousand talents by six thousand. What number do you get? Sixty million. So now read this. There was a king who wished to settle his accounts. He opens his ledger. And he stumbles upon a guy who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, the Jewish listeners are thinking, how in the world did a guy accrue 10,000 talents of debt? What did he do? 60 million days of labor. So I I can't imagine if the IRS came to my house and said, hey, David, you owe us $8 billion. I mean, mean, might as well make it 9, 10. I don't know. Like, that's just a number that is unfathomable. And he says this, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had so the payments could be made. So in this day, there's this debtor's prison. 
that if people were unable to pay their debts, they would go to prison and that would be a form of appropriate justice to settle that debt and not even accrue the entire amount, but that would be a form of justice. What does the servant respond with? Here's what he says. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife, his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, is that a reasonable declaration? No. We would look at it and go, there is no possible way to pay back 60 million days of labor. There's no way. And so he's responding as someone who's just back into a corner with nowhere else to go, responds and says, help me. Have pity on me. I will pay you back, though knowing there's no possible way. So here's what sometimes happens. We think Jesus is giving us a story about comparing big to small of amount of debt. Instead, he's actually contrasting an unpayable debt to now let's hear the next part of the story. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him that debt. And, and so who, who eats the debt? So the master had a list of debt. And then he says, having pity, he says, I'm gonna let that go. Who eats that debt? A master. So the master accrues that debt and says, I'm going to cancel it. So he cancels the debt that was owed to him. An insurmountable, unpayable amount cancels the debt. And then we watch the guy turn around and, and do something that you just go, I don't get it. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. There's no possible way out of pity. The master of the servant released him and forgave him. But when the same servant went out, what would you call him? What's this guy's name? Give me a name. Julie. All right, Julie. So, but when, when Julie went out, found one of a fellow servants, what should we call him or her? Fred. Fred. All right. So when Julie went out, and found one of the fellow servants, Fred, who owed her a hundred denarii. So what's a hundred denarii? Hundred days wage, three months. Is that, is that a repayable amount? Yes. So now the contrast isn't between a big and small amount. It's actually between an unpayable amount and a payable amount. So when Julie went out and found one of her fellow servants, Fred, who owed her a hundred denarii, seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with Julie, have patience with me and I will pay you. A reasonable request. And Julie refused, the servant refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned the servant and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I 
had mercy on you. And then now Jesus gives us a window into life in the kingdom. If you believe that King Jesus sits on the throne of your heart and you've been called and formed as one of his people and are living under his reign, here's what he says. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so there's this weight that comes in the story. The servant with an astronomically sized debt can't pay. And the master forgives it, takes it on. There still is a cost who takes it. The master takes it and forgives the debt. And the servant with an astronomically sized debt that was forgiven doesn't forgive his fellow servant his minimal debt. His master imprisons the first servant for not forgiving as he's been forgiven. And so we're just going to walk through the text. Two ideas in this parable. God has forgiven us. And as a result, those that live under his reign, we eagerly forgive as we experience God's forgiveness. So here's where we'll start. God has forgiven us. And my mind goes to a ledger. Because I think of my life where God has a ledger of all the things, big as sin and little as sin. Big as sin, broken from the very core of who I am, little as sin, things that I accrue every single day of my life. And God has this ledger of my life. Is there a cost to pay that debt? Yeah, what's the cost? Faith in Christ. Sinless Christ came to earth dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, and died a death that no one else could actually pay. Perfect Savior, and by faith in him, God looks at my ledger, and what happens? He cancels it. He says, David, you're still broken. It's not as somehow I became perfect myself, but now instead of seeing my brokenness, Jesus covers. God has forgiven us. How big does your mind conceive of that reality? Is that a small debt that we've incurred? <laughs> How big does that feel? And so if we believe, much like the parable, Jesus says, it's like a master who covered 10,000 talents, 60 million days of labor. It's not a big amount and a small amount. He's actually saying an unreconcilable amount. So if that's the case, how then might we live? Here's what he's saying if we don't have a, a picture of that reality. Jesus tells us God will treat us just as the master dealt with the first servant if we don't forgive others as God has forgiven us. There's the weight. And so now as we turn in the parable, if we feel the weight, Jesus now turns and says, so there's actually these payable amounts that we interact with every single day. We, too, actually have ledgers. We actually have ledgers that we keep against others. Just like that servant had his ledger, we, too, look and go, you know, my spouse did this to me this past week. Uh, on Tuesday at 9 o'clock, they didn't blank. You know, someone in my office, you know, they didn't blank. And we also have a ledger. And if we believe God's forgiven us, we eagerly forgive as we experience God's forgiveness. And so 
When that same servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a payable amount. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant sat down and pled with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. The logical response would be, man, I want to forgive the payable amount. And so I I just want to walk through then what forgiveness is and isn't. What is that sense of forgiveness that Jesus is calling those who live in his kingdom to? So let's start here. Forgiveness does not mean that somehow you approve of what the person did. Whatever hurt we might have accrued in our ledger, it doesn't mean we suddenly go, huh, that was okay. It doesn't mean we excuse the behavior as if it didn't matter. There was still a debt that was accrued nor do we justify what took place. There was a cost. Jesus went to the cross to pay for this sin. We refuse to take wrong seriously. It does not mean we refuse to take the wrong seriously. There was still a weight involved. And we do not pretend we're not hurt. Sometimes around the church, we walk through these doors, we put a smile on our face, and we go, oh, everything's fine. Sometimes, I imagine, even in this space, there's hurt that exists, right? We don't pretend. Around here, we don't pretend that it doesn't exist. And we don't just pardon what they did. Sometimes there is appropriate consequences. So when my kid does something, I don't just go, hey, you're off the hook. There are still consequences. And sometimes, oh, man, those consequences hurt me deeply. But we don't just simply pardon what they did always. And it doesn't always mean, man, I hope most of the time it does, but it doesn't always mean there is a reconciliation that we long for. And we don't deny what they did. And we don't simply just pretend or forget it didn't happen. Instead, it reminds me of a bouncy ball. Forgiveness feels like this to me. So we're going to pretend for a second, this is the hurt. Whatever hurt I incurred, can you guys picture with me in your head? Someone did something. Here's the hurt, right? And so I'm going to throw this to Jeff. It's good. Nice catch, Jeff. And so so Jeff is going to throw this back at me. And I hear from someone that Jeff is slandering me. That Jeff is saying some pretty evil, wicked things about me. and, And now I hear about it. And now I hear and feel the hurt. What's our tendency sometimes when we experience that pain? Maybe, maybe, our, maybe our spouse starts saying something about us. Maybe some of our coworkers started gossiping about us. If I hear Jeff says something deplorable about me, what's my tendency? Man, I just throw it right back at him, right? If he thinks he can hurt me, I'm gonna show him how I can hurt him even more. So forgiveness then is the last thing on my mind. Instead, we begin battling, right? And sometimes if I'm hurt, so Jeff's going to throw it back to me softly, gently. There you go. Thank you, Jeff. Sometimes when I'm hurt, where's the next place we go? I get home and the hurt that Jeff gave to me, Nancy, here it comes. You ready? Nope, Nancy's not. (laughs) Nancy's like, nope, we're not taking it. John, you ready? Sometimes the hurt that I feel from Jeff 
now cascades onto someone else's life. When I get home, some hurt that I experienced, Casey's now the one that's going to experience my wrath or rage or hurt, right? That it cascades out of my life. John, you want to give it back? So what's the, oh, (laughs) good effort, John, good effort. You just thought I could jump higher than I could. Those days are behind me, John, those days are behind me. So one, I return fire. Two, it actually cascades out of my life. What else might we do? Say that again. Yeah. Yeah. In the worst sense, I become a victim to this pain. In the worst sense. In the worst possible way. I start to let this thing define me. That hurt starts to just creep into my heart. This bitterness starts to affect me. Uh, unforgiveness, someone said, is like drinking poison, thinking someone else is going to die. And I just hang on to this. Instead, what does the parable say? It's sent away. That God has forgiven us and sent our debt away. And if we live under his reign, it actually has an impact. If we understand how much we've been forgiven, we too forgive. So what is forgiveness? I think it's a decision. And this comes from the book, if you saw it on the previous slide, comes from R.T. Kendall, book called Total Forgiveness, and Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker. Here's here's some ideas that I appreciated about the way they walk through it. Forgiveness is a decision that we actually decide, not some private affair of the heart, but actually a decision to move forward based entirely on how God has treated us. And we're aware of what someone has done. Not absent, not pretending it doesn't exist, not denying it, but actually fully aware and willing to press in and forgive anyway. Refusing to punish them, not gossiping about what they did. Because what do we like to do, right? If someone hurts me, my tendency is I'm gonna build a coalition of all my friends to show how I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just gonna pull in a few people, some allies, yielding my right to retaliation or getting even. And sometimes the pain is just so deep, it's not always paid at once. Sometimes that pain just goes so deep, I, I, can't, I can't even get myself to totally forgive, and instead it becomes something that's not always paid at once. And I love, in uh, Sandy's book, he gives these four questions or four promises about forgiveness. He says, I will not dwell on this incident. It's not that somehow I forgot it, it's still there, but I'm not going to just sit there and let it fester and dwell, and I'm not going to bring up this incident again and use it against you. Because sometimes, when I feel wronged again, I pull out my ledger and I go, you know, on August such and such, on such and such a date, at such and such a time, you did this. And we bring it back up. Instead, I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about what took place. And I'm not going to let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That reconciliation. And so here's, here's what I hope we all hear Jesus saying. If we've been forgiven, we forgive much because we understand that's the reality. Those of us who have been forgiven, the eternal debt we have before God can't help but forgive others the offenses we have experienced. And so I want to sit in this. You each have a, uh, 
a bulletin. And you may have already started to write on it, but there's a blank section for notes. And so just with the significance of this idea, here's what I'm going to encourage us to do. Uh, as we walk through the implications, I'm actually going to invite the worship team up to play behind us as we reflect about whatever level of forgiveness we might need to give. And so I don't know if you've already written notes on here. Uh, use this space and what we're going to agree to, we're going to promise, I so solemnly swear not to look at my neighbor's paper. <laughs> so if you're willing, again, I understand you don't have to, but if you're willing to actually write, where, where is this forgiveness me, being manifest in my life? And so I'm going to walk us through some prompts that might help uncover where we might need to display uh, this forgiveness we've experienced. Because here's, here's the Lord's Prayer. Embedded in it, he says, Jesus says, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, we understand the infinite, limitless, unfathomable debt that you've covered for us. 10,000 talents, 60 million workdays. And so in a small way, we want to forgive those around us. And so I, I want to start here. That we reflect. S sometimes those who think forgiveness is easy, I would say probably haven't ever experienced something that really is of consequence that would need forgiveness. <laughs> those that think it's easy, we start here. We reflect on the reality that forgiveness is sometimes hard to live out. We understand forgiving others when we've been hurt is not easy. And appropriately confronting others when we've been hurt is not easy. And not telling others when we've been hurt, maybe someone does something to us, hurts us, offends us. Not telling others when we've been hurt, ah, it's not easy. And so where, where is that stirring something in your heart? Someone in your life that, that would need forgiveness from you. Who is that? If you're willing, write them on the paper or in code, whatever that might be. But for some of us, here's where we might be. Are we still struggling with hurt and directing our minds away from the pain is challenging? And we're still carrying a hurt that we haven't addressed. It's still just lingering with us. The idea that we, we are drinking poison thinking someone else is going to die. Are we still struggling with hurt? Someone is being set free. Sometimes that person needs to be us, that we've been set free from carrying this hurt. What would lead us to approach this person? Uh, we actually believe it's for our good. It's actually going to free us from a weight we've been carrying, and it's for their good, whether they know they've hurt us or not. And it's actually for the good of our relationship. But even more of that, a demonstration of living under King Jesus' reign. It is, it is the declaration of the gospel changing our lives. And so if they apologize, what do we do? 
we pull out our ledger book and we say, well, you also did this and this and this. No, 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 no. We forgive them. If they apologize, we actually get to release and cancel and send that debt away. Not denying it didn't happen, not pretending it doesn't exist, but reconciling and sending that debt away. But David, what if they don't apologize? We forgive them. Because our Lord has forgiven us much. And so we reflect, maybe some of us are still struggling, but I can't help but think maybe some of the things that are so challenging, don't hear me dismiss this reality of addressing your hurt with someone puts you at further risk. I actually would say, be careful. There's wisdom in that, there's discernment, not just to rush in and pretend like there's a, an offense that, that shouldn't just be dismissed. You actually are gonna sit in that, there's discernment, there's wisdom in entering into these conversations. And then pray. Pray that God, if you're, if you're not recognizing anyone top of mind, I would encourage you, pray that God would reveal someone to whom you should apologize. Someone maybe that doesn't instantly come to mind, but, but as you think or reflect, there, there could be some tension. And then ask for forgiveness of anyone whom you've offended. And then here's at least where my mind goes, because you guys know I have a perfect marriage, right? I just I got it all figured out. No, we still go forward. So release the tendency to punish or wound your spouse with acts, words, looks, or even silence that ostracizes. And then with the possibility that someone comes into your life this week and actually approaches you and shares how you may have hurt them, here would be my encouragement, being prepared that God and his sovereignty might actually bring someone into your life this week. If someone approaches you about being hurt by you, here'd be my encouragement, listen, and then resist the temptation to defend yourself. Yeah, but don't you know how you did this and this and this and oh yeah, there's those two? How might we actually resist the temptation to defend ourselves? And if we were wrong, apologize in that moment and seek restoration and forgiveness and actually thank them for sharing and being willing to share their hurt with us. And here's my hope that we at Hillcrest, here's the community I hope we embody, that we are people helping people find life with Jesus, one life at a time. I hope we are devoted to reflecting on the depth of forgiveness we've experienced in Jesus to everyone we come in contact with in our Monday to Saturday. So we're gonna take a minute here and just reflect on, uh, on wherever our minds take us as we think about what it means to live under King Jesus' reign.